Welcome to the Joe Schmo Theology Podcast, where we discuss confessions. I ain't confessing nothing! Reformed theology. I don't know what either of those words mean. And apologetics. I am not apologizing for anything either. I am your host, Adam D. Murray, and joined with me today on this program is my brother, Aaron D. Murray. Hello. <laughs> Aaron, how you doing, man? I'm good, Adam. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. Hey, just, uh, I'm excited about the beginning of this podcast. I'm excited uh, to be outdoors where it's a day where it's not raining cats and dogs. And uh, so that I apologize. That means to anybody. Well, who I'm just, is either listening to this podcast <clears throat> a week from now and doesn't live in Indiana. Well, I was just trying to lead up to the fact that we're outdoors right now, and if anybody hears birds in the distance, that's why. Which is your so fault, by the way. Allow me to let apologize me, let me to the to audience. <laughs> let me explain to you guys why we're outside and you listen to these, these birds that got created. It's because Adam is allergic to dogs, and I have a wonderful dog. And dogs are man's best friend, and he's inside right now because Adam can't handle it. Adam can't handle friends. True statement. Um, that's fine. I do love animals. Um, animals of all kind, really. Uh, preferably on my dinner plate. Wow. Outside of that, not really a huge fan. Uh, what mean. if there are vegans listening to us? <laughs> well, they can stop. Please, <laughs> please, no vegans listen to this podcast. Uh, no, no. You, you guys are free to listen. Uh, um, like, like we said, the name is uh, Joe Schmo Theology. You want to talk about why it's called Joe Schmo Theology? You got a mosquito on your forehead. Sure. Um, Joe Schmo Theology is because neither of us are pastors, neither of us are elders, neither of us are ordained, um, and quite frankly, neither of us are that smart. <laughs> so um, I'm, we're, a, I'm a little <clears throat> smart. We're, we're just on our, our journey trying to uh, stir one another up to love and good works, as Hebrews says, challenge our our thinking, um, you know, study into some topics that we've both wanted to look into for a while, and and he's looked into some things more than I have, and I may have looked into a couple things that he hasn't, so just be mutually beneficial for us to to gather together and and kind of discuss some of these things. But Yeah, I think uh, we should talk about where we're coming from, um, from our theological perspectives. Um, I'm Presbyterian, Adam is uh, a Baptist, both Reformed, um, obviously. I mean, Can you be a Reformed I mean, Baptist? <laughs> well, actually, that's that's kind of something that I want to talk to talk, or talk about rather um, is what is the word Reformed even mean? Um, but before we do that, I don't know. Why don't you, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, wh- sure. where you are in life? Sure. Uh, well, I am 24 years old, living on the north side of Indianapolis. Um, I work for a company called Capital Insurance and uh, specialized just working with churches and nonprofits on their property and casualty insurance, risk management, things of that nature. Um, I attend a church called College Park on the north side of Indianapolis. That is a Calvinistic church. I wouldn't go so far as to say they are a reformed church. They're kind of Calvinistic. All of the leadership is Calvinistic. The the issue that you'd run into is the size of the church. It's a large church. Um, Several thousand people go there. And with that kind of, with those kind of numbers, you have kind of a melting pot of people coming in um, with with different presuppositions and different um, backgrounds. And so sometimes you run into people that won't necessarily hold the same convictions on every issue. But the leadership is very much Calvinistic um, in nature, and so I appreciate the teaching that 
I get there. I've been going there for seven or eight years now, something along those lines. Um, I enjoy sports. I enjoy music. I enjoy podcasts, which is what's kind of spurring us on towards this podcast. And uh, that's about all that's going on with me right now. So, how about you, Aaron? What? <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a husband and a father. I've been married for almost three years. Uh, we had our first baby boy um, <coughs> eight-ish months ago. Yes, let's go with eight. Eight months ago. Um, he's incredible. I, I love being a father. Uh, I'm a landscaper. I've been working at this company since I was 15. Uh, nothing too special. Um, I am part of the Reformed Presbyterian um, Church, RPCNA. That's the denomination. Very small. Um, our denomination is about the size of College Park. <laughs> yeah. if, if, that, uh, if that tells you anything um, about, about where we're coming from. Uh, but other than that, there's really not a whole lot to tell. Um, but I, I thought one thing that, that we could talk about and maybe that hopefully we'll be able to agree on is what the term reformed even means. Sure. So um, if, if someone were to ask you, what, what are some criteria that must be met in order to consider yourself reformed or wear that label, what, what would be the first one? Um, I would say the first one is to be confessional. Um, so Aaron and I are both confessional. Um, one of us holds to the correct confession and, and the, the other, other one holds, holds to, to the, the Westminster. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, so I apologize for your ear holes. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I, I would, I would hold to the 1689 London Baptist confession, which was, um, basically a copy, copy of the, of the Westminster confession. Um, they did just about everything right with the exception of, uh, baptism, but we'll talk about that in a, in a Are you talking about couple. 1689? Mm-hmm. No, what? Oh, no, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> you tricked me. Like idiot says what, what? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I think the first thing is to be confessional. Um, and then why don't you take whatever well, else? Well, I mean, before we do that, what, what does it even mean to really be confessional? Like, let's just assume you're talking to someone who has never heard of Reformed theology, doesn't even know what a confession is, apart from sure. either the Catholic priest or a murder. Right, right. So the confessions are a tool that is used to keep biblical doctrine sound rather than reinterpreting things and, and inventing new ideas or bringing new interpretations of things into the church, looking back through history and seeing how things have been, um, you know, grounded in scripture and interpreted as historical and, and looking back at, at the confessions kind of just keeps your, um, you know, keeps your, your, your foundations in theology um, in a vertical motion rather than horizontal going out to the side or that kind of thing. So, um, you know, the confessions, is if you read through them, it'll have things about, like, uh, the Scripture itself. What does the confession say about Scripture? What does the confession say about baptism? What does it say about marriage? What does it say about, you know, all these different uh, areas of doctrine. And so just being able to look back at, at those who have come before us and stand on the shoulders of giants um, really helps keep your, your theology sound. Right. And it's... It's kind of like a very small systematic theology. Right. Um, and that's one, and I don't want to come across too harsh. I, I think <coughs> College Park is a fine church, and I'm sure there are plenty of non-denominational churches out there that are um, very biblical and do a lot of God-glorifying things. But if you're not confessional, you're almost forced to attempt to reinvent the wheel when that's unnecessary. I, I think. I mean, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I don't know that you... I don't know that you are 
necessarily having to reinvent the wheel. Um, because if you may not hold to a confession, but on every single one of these, there are works, separate works that have been done. Um, it's just a matter of, if, are you going to pick from, you know, three different books that talk about divine providence, for instance, and get three different perspectives, and then you pick one, you know, kind of thing. It, it, can, it can muddy the waters rather than having a well, confession or creed that you hold to. Also, when you, when you go to a church that is not confessional, you're almost playing Russian roulette because right. you're not sure what you're going to get. If, right. if, if you go to a church that says, hey, I hold to the Heidelberg or I hold to the Westminster or the 1689, you can be pretty sure, at least doctrinally, what that church is going to believe. Sure. And that that's very, very helpful as opposed to going to, and I shouldn't even just pick on non-denominational churches, Presbyterian churches probably can be that way. Well, that's what I was, that's what I was going to say, though, because if you are... Non-denominational is one thing, but if you're part of a convention, you know, if you're part of uh, the PCA, well, not even know, a convention because you look at the SBC and they're they're right. totally split right now, right? Uh, and, and that can be, but you generally have a good idea going into most of these. So if you if I go to a PCA church, I'm gonna have a pretty good understanding. That's because they're Westminster. Ninety percent of the time, what I'm gonna get now, I've I've run into some weird PCA churches, but. Um, you know, you kind of you kind of have an idea. Um, if I go to an independent fundamental Baptist church, I pretty much yeah, you're really rolling the dice. You could get a really really <clears throat> good one or a really really bad one. Yeah, but I still kind of feel like I know what the issues are going to be there for the most part. I just with most of those churches, what I found is what's elevated as a core issue that shouldn't be, or you know, those kind of things. So well, I don't know. I think think about something in regards to the Trinity. You could go to an independent Baptist church and it could be super solid, a very good Trinitarian church. Sure. Or you could end up going to one where like, Oh man, these guys are modalists Hmm. and they, and they are absolutely like promoting that. (laughs) It's not even modalism out of ignorance. Right. It's so, I don't know. I I think confessions are a very, very good thing. And if you don't hold it to a confession, you call yourself reformed. Um, keep, keep going. Keep keep going. Look into the the confessions. They're a beautiful, beautiful thing. Right. One thing uh, Joe Thorne, pastor in uh, Chicago, said um, on a on a podcast that I listened to several months ago was he wants to see a lot of people coming out of the young, restless, and reform movement and move into a more covet a, a confessional movement. You know. Spoiler. <laughs> so 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 you know I, I think that there's been a lot. There's almost been a um, almost a revival of Reformed theology in a sense in, in the God. states, and uh, so there's a lot of people coming into this. And you know, like a year ago, I didn't know what a confession was either. So it's kind of like um, it's it's that idea of you know you learn and you grow and you understand new things, and then you know you're introduced to this. And so we want to see more people moving into um, you know becoming confessional because we think that that is a really good guideline for how to understand scripture. Um, so anyway, what's the next thing that you would say is a criteria prerequisite for reformed theology? Well, I think the, the most obvious and most popular one would be Calvinistic. Um, so you hold to the doctrines of grace, you hold to Tulip, uh, the five points of Calvinism. Um, that's, that seems to be where people stop for the most part is they start with, with Calvinism, which is, you know, it's beautiful. And I'm very, very happy that, that they're doing that. But they stop and they don't go further. So that's probably what we should have talked about first. I mean, talking about confessions is fine. Um, but Calvinistic would be probably like the foundation for sure. all these other doctrines. So, um, I mean, maybe we can just go through TULIP, um, the acronym. 
Sure. Um, I think we should just talk about this in a broad stroke spectrum. Because sure. no, next, right. uh, two, uh, two podcasts from now, we're going to be talking more in depth about what Calvinism is. We, we will also be talking about confessions, too. So yeah, if right. you're like, well, what about scripture? Hold on. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll get there, guys. Right. We'll get there. Um, but but just broad stroke. What, what, what does it mean to be a Calvinist? What's the thrust behind that? Uh, right. So the Calvinists would say, uh, well, I hold to TULIP or the Doctrines of Grace. And TULIP is a horrible acronym. <laughs> that uh, conveys some very, very good biblical truth. So um, T would be total depravity. Uh, and what that says, and e- even that, let me start there. That's, that's not a great way of saying um, what the meaning is trying to convey, saying people are totally depraved. It, I think a better way to say it is utter depravity. So people are at their core um, sinful. We all inherit the guilt of Adam. We all inherit the condemnation and the punishment that Adam and Eve heaped upon us or themselves and you know we inherit that so we are utterly incapable of doing anything that would please god or or at least anything that would help us in our justification or redemption that that would be the first yeah um i've heard the the term total depravity changed to total inability which i like sure that's that's probably a better even way to say it which i i like a lot because what total depravity is not saying is that everyone is depraved as they possibly can be so i haven't murdered anyone you know um there's still a lot of of sinful acts that i could commit and haven't committed by the grace of god um so there's there's <laughs> there's there's room for sin there um but but what it means is you know if everyone were if sin were blue everyone would be blue all over um charles spurgeon i think is the one who uh, is would you accredited say with if they it. were blue a dab a uh, die? <laughs> Shut up. Uh, you know, but Charles Spurgeon, I think, is the one who uh, was recorded saying that just like the salt in the ocean um, makes the entire ocean salty, so the sin in our hearts is so pervasive that it affects every part of us. So every part of us is inherently sinful. Um, and, you know, I, I always go to Romans 8 when talking about this. It says, uh, for, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Um, and that just speaks to to our lowliness um, apart from Christ and our inability to please Him. Our, our minds are hostile towards Him. And Romans three has a lot to talk about that. We'll get into more detail. Right. There, I think I think that was really good, and that actually kind of demonstrated why our name is called Joe Schmo Theology because I totally did not convey what I wanted to convey. I wanted to convey the opposite of utter depravity, and that <laughs> we're not all Hitler. But I did the opposite, and then Adam, you saved me. So one for the Baptists. <laughs> All right, so so we can't please God. Um, our hearts are hostile towards God. We can't we can't choose God, right? According to total depravity. So what is there hope for anyone? We all just lay down and die the way we made our beds, or what? Uh, no, no. So the next letter is U, which stands for unconditional election, which very very simply means that God elects or or predestines or chooses whichever um, way you want to say it. He chooses people based not on anything that they have done or will do. So this is not simple foreknowledge. This is before the foundations of the w- world, of the earth, God predestined you, despite you. Right. W- would, be, would be the idea. So that, that's coming right out of Ephesians 1 and 2. Right. So if Aaron and I are sitting here and God chose to, to elect one of us and not the me. other, um, even though I'm much better looking than Aaron, 
um, you know, God might elect Aaron, not because there, there's nothing that I have that I can put before God as a boast. The Bible say, says Jesus was ugly, so I'm, I'm more like Jesus. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what gifts or talents or abilities you have. There's nothing that you do that's going to earn your merit before Christ. There's no future decision that God knows of that you might make. Um, so it's not dependent on any of those things. So um what about the controversial one? What is... No, you take it. I've started out with the other two. It's your turn. <laughs> okay. See, you, you screw it up, and then I'll come in and clean up the mess like you've been doing to me. Sure. Sure. So the uh, the next one is called Limited Atonement. Wrong. No, that's Wrong. right. No, I know. I'm just I, uh, I... <laughs> Thanks, Trump. Uh, <laughs> I, I, would change, I would change Limited Atonement to Particular Redemption, um, meaning that... Christ died for his chosen people, for his elect. We see that theme throughout the Old Testament. We see that theme uh, through Romans 9, um, throughout the New Testament as well, Ephesians 1, that God has a particular people um, that, that he has called to himself that he wants to redeem. And, um, and so his, his atonement on the cross was for that particular people, not for all people. Uh, what would be the reason for that? What would happen if Christ's atonement was for everyone? Well, there's, there's a couple things. I mean, I mean, first of all, when you think about um, the atonement, you think about the cross, the question you need to ask yourself is when Christ died on the cross and he was raised again, did he save anybody or did he make salvation possible for everybody? Hmm. That, that would be the question you have to ask. Right. And so, so depending on how you answer that question is where you're going to fall on this idea of definite atonement or particular redemption or limited atonement, whichever way you want to phrase it. Um, one thing that, I mean, we've, Again, we'll talk about this in a couple weeks more in depth about Calvinism, and we'll give more uh, biblical and scriptural proofs for it. But Matthew talks about Jesus, you know, coming into the world to save his specific particular people. Hmm. So now let's think about this if the cross only made redemption possible for everyone and not the cross saved someone. So you have this idea of double jeopardy. So let's say that Joe Schmo over here, not us, Joe Schmo <laughs> over here, um, Christ dies on the cross for his sins. And all throughout Joe Schmo's life, he doesn't accept Christ. He doesn't embrace him. He doesn't submit to him as Lord. And he dies. And he goes to hell. What's going to happen in hell? He's going to be punished for his sin. So you've got Jesus bearing Joe Schmo's sin on the cross. And then you've got Joe Schmo bearing his sin in hell. Right. So you've got, ultimately, you've got God being unjust because he's dealing out punishment twice for the same thing. So, right. you know, we, we understand that punishment is eternal in hell. And mm-hmm. That's another whole controversial thing that maybe we'll talk about someday. But God is not unjust. And I, <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say something pretty harsh. Sure. But... but this well, is our first podcast. Save, so. save it. We've probably already lost a lot of you if you haven't if you haven't come from a All reformed the tradition. Are gone. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, come on. Uh, anyway. Adam and Eve were vegans before the sin. Okay, cool. And then probably I don't, I don't know, know if that's true. Or whatever. Not. Anyway, um, yeah, but we, we may have lost some of you guys, um, even Calvinists. That you know, there's a lot of people that call themselves four point Calvinists. I don't know how you could do that, but we'll talk about that more. Uh, but there's that joke out there. What's a four point Calvinist favorite Christmas carol? 
Noel. Noel, because of limited atonement. It's a hard doctrine. There's a lot of passages in Scripture. What a stupid joke. <laughs> There's a lot of passages in Scripture that would, t- you know, have a have phrasing in there like that Christ died for all or Christ came for all, those kind of things. But you need to be consistent in how you interpret Scripture as a whole, not just cherry-picking different verses and how you understand all because it can be really easy to lead down the road of universalism where, oh, Christ died for all, his his uh, atonement is uh, effectual, he brings all people to himself and everyone's saved at the end. You know, that kind of thing. So um, we're, we're definitely not we're definitely not wanting to go there and we just want to be consistent with it. So right. we'll talk and more I don't, about And I don't that. think that people who hold to universal not universal atonement um unlimited atonement i don't i don't think they're universalists like the, to no, me to me not. that would be the logical conclusion of right. that but i understand that people they lead it more to the idea of prevenient grace right right that, that god puts everyone on a level playing field with it that then they can then choose him or not you know that kind of thing but prevenient grace is not in scripture <laughs> so uh to me the logical the logical conclusion would be universalism if you kind of interpret scripture that way anyway moving on right, so well the, before we move on you want to play a game uh do you want to get to i and p Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I would be Irresistible Grace um, <laughs> in the acrostic tulip. Um, Aaron, what is Irresistible Grace? Uh, irresistible Grace basically says that if God wants you to be saved, you will be saved. So his grace is irresistible. Now, this is another issue with the, the acronym TULIP because we, we would not say that people are dragged against their will to come to Christ. Like, it's not like they go kicking and screaming. Rather, the Spirit regenerates them and gives them faith so that they do repent. Mm-hmm. So he changes their nature to, to want to. So, for example, it was literally impossible for Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road not to become a Christian. It was irresistible. Hmm. Um, hmm. And, and that just, it flows. All, all of these uh, doctrines flow together. Right. One cannot really stand without the other. Right. So this is, this is a natural outflowing and occurrence of, of what that, of, you know, right. the, the, the doctrine. So maybe a better way to say irresistible grace is effectual calling. Right. Um, mm, good. Yeah, effectual calling, meaning, um, you know, when, we're, when we go to the total depravity stage, we see that no one seeks God, no one is righteous, no one does good. We see that in Romans 3. So there's no one who's seeking God in their flesh. That's just the reality of it. Uh, but effectual calling means that when he calls someone to himself, that person is coming to Christ. <laughs> That's just, he, he is set out. He, the, the Son and the, and the Father and the Spirit are all in harmony to accomplish the will of the Father, which is to, to bring about the salvation of the elect. And, right. The, um, the the Calvinist view of redemption is Trinitarian right. through and through. Right. It's beautiful. Right. Um, so the last one we'll hit real quick. Uh, P, perseverance of the saints. I like to say preservation of the saints because that puts the emphasis on God's work rather than our work. Perseverance sounds like we're the ones keeping ourselves in the fold. Which is the irony of the whole right. acronym. Preservation of the saints is God preserving us. Um, you look at John 6, and you see that um, Jesus says, No one comes to me unless he is called by the Father. And uh, whoever you know, whoever is, I have, I will not lose. I will lose none out of the sheep that God has given me. Um, we see that again in John 10. So 
the work is is that of Christ. Um, if you come to it from a Arminian or Molinistic or Synergistic position of any kind, it's you who get yourself into salvation and you who can get yourself out of it. But with that being said, I've met a lot of Arminians who um, will also hold to the doctrine of eternal security. Um, and I don't know how that can be done um, consistently, but that's that's something that I've seen and grew up in. That's actually the, the viewpoint I held for the first, actually the majority of my life. Um, but yeah, so so God saves and God keeps is essentially what preservation he of the saints means. He is the author and perfecter of, yes. of, of our faith, and I think that that's in Philippians. He who began a good work in you is faithful to carry it into completion. Right. Um, so anyway, all right, you want to play a game? Sure. All right. Let's play a Would You Rather. All right. Okay. Okay, now this, this may be crude, so it's not going to be that crude. Do you guys know how Would You Rather works? Uh, Aaron is going to give me a situation... <laughs> in which I have to pick uh, which of the situations I would rather live in. And if they're they were both going to suck. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. So I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. right? The second one. It's fantastic. Good. It's, it's phenomenal. So it got me thinking about Marvel. It got me thinking about superheroes. It got me thinking about superpowers. Mm. So, mm. Adam. Yes. Would you rather be able to travel time, but every time you travel through time, the destination you end up, you have explosive diarrhea. That's reality now. Every so. single... <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so what's the other one? Or would you rather be able to fly, but every time you fly, you're blind for 30 minutes hmm. during and after? During flight? So, so the very second your feet get off the ground, you're blind, and then you don't regain your sight again for half an hour. How do I know where I'm flying? Well, that's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Use one of those sticks. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, let's let's go to the first one first. Okay. I'm going to ask you some questions. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I can time travel anywhere in the world, any time period any I want. Any time period. Um, so, so any time period. Does... I think technically it's time period. I don't think you could just travel to Egypt. That was my first question. So I can't, like, go back to no, like, I think the second have... century and, you know, go to wherever I... You'd have to fly there. Or walk there. Oh man! And by fly, I mean airplane. Hmm. So, do my resources change? Like, if I were to time travel, do I still have like current currency, like everything that I currently have? I mean, that's or... not gonna help you in ancient Egypt. Well, exa- that's what I'm saying. I mean, or that... help you during the civil war? Is there war? some kind of like exchange? Go like in slavery? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Is there some kind of like exchange rate that I can use? Like that I can exchange my current assets for the time of the day? Like you can exchange. Like I just have a bunch of goats that what I can you have <laughs> on your person. So, like, if you want to carry a big bunch of gold, you, you could do that. Oh, but man. it's only, like, what you can carry. Oh, man. I got to invest in some gold. Um, all right. And I have to travel somewhere. Okay. How, ex- how explosive I'm is I'm talking, like, it, it destroys your pants. <laughs> like, you need a new ser- like set of pants you need every a, time? You abs- every time you will need a new set of pants. Now, does this happen before I time travel or after? This happens, like... As you're getting there, so it's like boom, time oh, travel. Oh, gross! So I just show up in like a crowd of so people. So you just with show up in a pants. crowd of people. It's smelly. Everyone's embarrassed. Oh man, oh man. And no, you don't get a diaper. Oh man, I can't even trade those. Um, you better carry some toilet paper. Yeah, with you. for real. Um, okay, let's go to the other one. So I can fly, but I'm blind. You're blind. Blind as a bat. Blind while I'm flying. Mm-hmm. Um, do I get any kind of like bat sonar or anything? I mean, you can you can train yourself. So these people do like echolocation all the time. Look it up on YouTube; it's fantastic. Huh? So you can you can train yourself. To I don't do know that. anything about echolocation. Is that an effective? Okay, it's basically like 
and and the the sound waves bounce off the objects around you. That's really going to help you. Yeah, but like if you're two flying, plane. Yeah, it's like if you're well, thirty thousand like, feet in the air. Well, I mean, I would what do you me. have to worry about when you're thirty thousand right. feet in the air? If I'm if I'm a if I seems like a good deal. To if me. I'm a thousand feet in the air, okay, flying, feet. I can't bounce this off of anything. Like not unless there's a mountain. Right. Okay. <laughs> so. I have no idea what direction I'm going. This flying does me nothing unless I'm about to get hit by a bus or something and I just go straight up. Yep. But then how do I know where to land? What if you have to change a light bulb that's really high? I won't be able to find it. (laughs) (laughs) Just have someone help you. (laughs) You can be light bulb change man. I just feel like getting a ladder is easier. Um, It's a really high light bulb. (laughs) I'm a really short guy. I'll need a ladder anyway for just a normal (laughs) light bulb. Um... I don't know. I just like there's there's no purpose that I can see for flying. Is it fun at least? I don't know. It seems like it'd be fun. Is flying fun? That's Superman. I don't know. So, but okay. So if I fly, I won't be able to find the ground because I'm blind. So I'm gonna kill myself every no, time no, I try to land. No, no, not necessarily. Just slowly float. I don't know. You're not a dummy. If you die, you're a dummy. <laughs> oh man. Hey, hand me your confession. I need a I need a coaster. Roast. I'm <laughs> I'm actually using it as a as, as a coaster <laughs> right now. Um, oh man, I'm gonna have to go with the first one. Wow, I'm gonna have to go with the diary. What? I just don't see any practical use for flying. Dude, well, I'm blind. So, that's so embarrassing. I can't go anywhere. It's horrible. You think you're gonna go around ch- exchanging your currency, but you're gonna be buying new pants all the time. Yeah, so what? It's disgusting. I'll be a beggar. That's this. At least I can. You're gonna time travel to be a beggar. I, dude, at least I'll be able to experience like different cultures of things. Think about it. Oh, okay. You'll have an experience. This already. podcast goes really bad. We release it. We have a terrible, terrible review. I can just travel back in time and try again. What about me? I gotta deal with your with I your can poop. Take, I can take with your, your diarrhea. That's fine. That's fine. I don't want to. I don't need smelling that. I'll just throw it away. We'll burn it. That's Can disgusting. I just? I'll just borrow some no, of your pants. Because it's my my pants, and then you try and travel again and destroy those. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm done with this conversation. That's the one I choose. <laughs> so anyway, so the third part. Um, the Baptist back. picks diarrhea. That's just. I just want to highlight that. Yep. Yep. Okay. The third one. The th- well, actually, I have two more. Okay. All right. Um, and you might actually disagree with with the fourth one, right. but I think it's worth talking about. Sure. Um, but let's just go with the third one. The third one. Um, in order to wear the badge of Reformed theology, you have to be covenantal in, in your thinking. So the biggest distinction I can make would be you have two main hermeneutics, two main ways of reading Scripture. You've got the dispensational lens and you've got the covenantal lens. So the majority of American evangelicalism is dispensational. God bless them. Um, would you say it's the majority? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, by far. Yeah, I think you're right. By far. I, I mean, right. Reformed theology is definitely the minority. Yeah. Yeah, you're um, right. I think, I think it's getting more popular. but So, so that it's basically two different ways of reading Scripture. So <clears throat> um, if you had to describe covenant theology, how would you do it? Um, covenant theology, the best way I can describe it, and I'm, I'm going to slaughter this. I apologize in advance. We're, we're Joe Schmo theologians. Right. Man. We're allowed to slaughter it. Covenant theology focuses on a common thread throughout Scripture, that there's one main um, theme behind Scripture that's built around God's covenant, um, first seen in Genesis 3 and then carried out through there, uh, through the rest of Scripture, um, which I think would be distinctive from, from dispensational in the sense that there's um, you know, two 
wills of God, and there's seven different dispensations. Yeah, I mean, and it, it really depends on the dispensationalist you're talking to. I right. think, I think God that has like, strain of dispensationalism by the grace of God is, is kind of, it's exiting. Okay. Because you, you have people who are more intellectually honest about, okay, sure. yeah, the Bible doesn't necessarily teach that. John MacArthur would be a great right. example of someone who, who is a dispensational. Um, when, when you think of dispensationalists, there are really two things that you have to hold to. You have to hold to a literal interpretation of Scripture right. and a separation. So helicopters and Well, Revelation no, and... that's because that's not even... <laughs> that's not even literal. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Literal. That's so the they, point. They, so they it... don't even hold to their own standard of, right. of interpretation. But a literal interpretation... Um, and separation of Israel and the church. Right. So God has a chosen people in Israel, but then he also has a other people. That... The Gentiles, which, you know, we would be in the, the church age, as they would say. Right. Um, and, right. Then, and then the church will be raptured out, and then God will deal with the Jews again. Right. So so that's that's my understanding of dispensational theology. But like Aaron said, there's a couple different threads out there that I'm just not very well-versed in. Um Whereas covenant theology, you would say God has one distinct people, the elect, that he's bringing to himself. Right. Um, and he uses covenants as the means by which he interacts with right. his people. And right. So when we say covenant theology, we mean there, there are three basic covenants. Some people would say two. Okay, you guys, we can argue about that. I don't, I don't necessarily think it matters too much. But you have the covenant of works. Right. The covenant of grace. Right. And the covenant of redemption. Mm-hmm. Now... I should have said that backwards because chronologically that's not how it works. So let me talk about the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, and then right. I'll talk about the covenant of redemption, okay. which comes before the covenant of works. Sure. Tracking with me, Tracking as Chandler would you. say. Um, <laughs> Let's lean into this real quick. Let me unpack this. Let me for unpack. You. This let me unpack track, this. For track you. with me. Listen to me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow <laughs> me. Okay. Um, covenant of works. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, God creates the world. He creates Adam and Eve. He creates them completely sinless. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, work the land, till it, keep it, dot, 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 name all the animals. So that is the do part of the covenant of works. The don't part is do not eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Right. Okay. So Adam's on this probationary period, right? Right. So so we would say it's, it's a probationary period. You do these things slash don't do this thing and you will enjoy paradise forever you will you know the world will become even better it will become basically what we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth right okay now we know the story adam and eve failed and they mm-hmm. failed miserably and because of that we have <coughs> total depravity hey. Yay! thanks I, adam and eve i like to say that arminians created calvinists <laughs> because Adam chose it, and now we're different. <laughs> that's salty. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I know that's not necessarily no, completely accurate because but, we would agree with that. Adam, Adam and Eve had free will. No, I know that's what I'm saying. That got that's my entire ordained. point. Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> right. So they they fail and they fail miserably. So as God comes in and he goes, what in the world are you guys doing? You know, why are you hiding? Oh, we heard you were coming. We were naked and we were ashamed. And God's like, well, who told you you were naked? And a really interesting thing about that, and uh, I'll, I'll just say this. I'm not Stop me if I keep going too sure. long about covenant theology because I can talk about it all day because I love it. We'll do. Um, so we often wonder, well, why, why, are, why is it a big deal that Adam and Eve were naked? Why were they ashamed? That doesn't really make sense to me. I don't understand. And if you really understand what Adam and Eve were doing when they took the fruit is they were usurping God. They right. were basically saying, we don't need God. We are God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when they take that fruit and they eat it, they realize they're not God. Right. 
Adam looks at his wife and he sees that she's naked. She looks at him and she sees that he's naked. And what do, what do they see? They see reproductive organs where they need each other to create life. Where God needs nothing. He creates ex nihilo out of nothing. Right. Okay. So so like, oh man. It's a nice theological term. We're not. I like it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we're not God. So they hide. So Jesus comes and or God comes and he's like, well, what's going on? Same thing. Oh gosh. Um, and they're like, well, we did this. And Adam goes, well, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit. And he goes, well, it was the serpent over there. He tempted me. And so God curses the things that Adam and Eve deal with, things like child labor and things like work, but he doesn't actually curse them. They're already cursed because of what, what they did. Who he does curse is he curses the serpent. Hmm. And he says, you know, from the seed of this woman, She's, he's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and read that real quick. Yeah, go ahead. For sure. Because um, this, is, this, is this is a very important. This is where we see the first glimpse of what the gospel is, um, at least in my understanding. It says, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that's what we call the Imago Dei? No. Nope. What? <laughs> Sorry, what's we the We are Joe Schmo theologians. Joe Schmo. Hold on. The Timothy Imago, Brindo the was Imago talking about it today. The Imago Dei is we are made in the image of God. Right. So okay. the other one is... This uh, is the Proto-Evangelia. Proto-Evangelia. There it is. Okay, the first gospel. Yeah, let's get this <laughs> This is what you call the Imago Dei. What? <laughs> hey. You're a Baptist. That's close. Um... What were we even talking about? I got thrown off by that stupidity. All right, so enmity between between the serpent and <laughs> right. the woman. So this is where this is where God says um, he, he gives the first gospel. He gives them hope. He says that the head crusher, the mm. snake crusher, is coming in and he's going to kill this guy. So Adam and Eve have an idea of redemption. Now it's not completely flushed out, and and it'll keep going. Um, how how in depth do you want to get in this? Because well, I know that's we're what, talking that's about what this I'm saying. We're well. going to talk about this next week. So let's let's do this. Let's put a pin in this. Well, let me go on a little bit more. Yeah, I'm not going to go into any yep. more detail. Yep. So so basically, the covenant of grace, which is what God just gave Adam and Eve, which is flushed out even more with uh, Noah, Abraham, mm-hmm. yep. Moses, and David. We'll talk about that later. He says the covenant of grace. Jesus is going to fix this all. Absolutely. Now the covenant of redemption takes place before the foundations of the earth wherein the Father, the Son, and the Spirit say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have this unelect people. Jesus, you're going to go save them. Holy Spirit, you're going to apply that redemption to them, uh, things like that. So the covenant of grace is an outworking of the covenant of redemption, right. which is why some people like to say there's only two instead of three. I think that's a perfectly fine way of, of explaining it, but it's a little more confusing. Right, right. So, so, so covenant of redemption is just the Trinity in eternity past, saying this is what we're going to do and this is the means that we're going to accomplish it. Right. Covenant of grace, covenant of works are covenants made between God and man. Right. Or right. And the covenant of redemption is an intertrinitarian covenant. Right. Made so the, between the Godhead. So the covenant of works is where Adam failed and the covenant of grace is where the second Adam came and succeeded and where Adam failed. And all of that was was predetermined in um, eternity past by the Trinity in perfect harmony that they were going to carry out this plan. Right. Um, so that's that's covenant theology in a nutshell. 
um, we're on our next podcast. We're going to be talking about what exactly is the gospel, and we're going to tie that in with covenant theology as well, and get in a little more. Well, because covenant theology is really the gospel, right. ultimately. Right, but there's distinctives. So I wouldn't say that dispensationals preach a false gospel in certain ways. I think no, that, I think, I th- and that's that's kind of what I was talking about. How nobody holds to the classical. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Not many people hold to classical dispensationalism any right. longer. Praise God. Because I, I make no qualms about this, it is messed up. So if we haven't lost you on Calvinism and limited atonement, we Dude, may have nobody's lost half of you on this podcast if they're not reformed already. <laughs> All right, so I hope that's not the case. I hope we do have people out there who are studying and learning. But you don't care and, about vegans. <laughs> dispensationals could at least be Christians. Vegans maybe not. They could have heard the gospel when you got rid of them. You know what? What? <laughs> I don't know. You don't love people. I I don't love people's life choices. Let me just let me just say that. I completely wholeheartedly disagree with vegans in every way, shape, and form. Um, love my meat. Love my chicken. So anyway, isn't that the same thing? Isn't chicken meat? <laughs> yeah, but the meat it comes in a lot. So of So I love I love my meat. Meat. I love my meat and I love my chicken above most of my other meats. That's what I was essentially. Okay. So anyway, um, something about church history. Well, hold on. Not yet. No. Okay. Not yet. Because I think there is a fourth thing that I want you to consider, and I think you would agree with me. We would just disagree on how how it works out. I think another um, criteria of being reformed is you have to hold to some form of the regulative principle of worship. Now that kind of goes back into being confessional because as far as I I don't know about the 1689, um, but I know the Heidelberg and Westminster do talk about the regular principle of worship. Um, So... The regulative principle of worship basically states, unless God tells you to do it, in, in, in corporate worship, you are not to do it. Right. So this isn't talking about what you do outside of the corporate gathering uh, on the Sabbath with the church, that kind of thing. So this is talking about how corporate worship... What are the elements of worship? Right. So if God hasn't explicitly said, this is how you are to wish worship me, anything outside of that would be sin. The flip side of that is the normative principle, which is like, hey, as long as you're worshiping God, you can use whatever means. If it's interpretive dance or dramas or whatever, you can use that in the corporate gathering. But because um, it's not it's not explicitly said not to. So we can go ahead and use it. Whereas the regular principle says if it's not explicitly said that you should, you shouldn't. Um, so that's that's the idea. There's a lot of uh, there's 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 a there's multiple ways of looking at it. I, I would fall more on the conservative side of the spectrum than, than Adam would. You liberal. So, um, so let me just let me just give you a, a preface here to our audience. There are a lot of things um, that I have been considering lately that I still haven't come to absolute. You know, this is where I'm 100% standing on. Regulative principle is one of those things, um, and so over the, that's half the reason we're doing this podcast because it's going to push us to learn and study and Basically, be somewhat informed about what we're talking about. So there could be a time. Right now, I don't hold to the strictest form of I don't do exclusive psalmody in church. Um, I wouldn't mind being inclusive with it, but we, we're, my, the church I'm at is not. Um, you know, Aaron's church is exclusive psalmody. So that's a difference where we would look at it. Um, we're both singing. We're both praising. You know, that's, uh, you know, we're both proclaiming the word, that, those kind of things. But there's, there's different ways that the regular principle works itself out depending on your understanding of it. And right. we'll and flesh that there's out. There's things that you point. said that I want to talk about. We're going we're gonna to stop because we will be talking about, the, we're going to have a whole podcast on the regular principle. Yep. Um, which I'm really looking forward to. And I hope 
I hope that uh, it will be beneficial and I will be humble about it because this is this is one of my soapbox things. Aaron is cage stage regulative principal right now. Dude, I'm cage stage. You are so cage stage. You're cage stage regulative principal and cage stage Presbyterian. Which let's talk about that a little bit because you just mentioned that you know you're 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 doing some soul searching. You know, you're you're not soul searching. Scripture searching. You're you're in you're in preschool (laughs) right now with the 1689. Well, let's go with sixth grade. Oh, thank you. Okay, you're in sixth grade. You know, you're you're working your way through through high school, and then you're gonna get to college, and you're like, all right, you know, only what? those with faith of a child. Westminster. Oh, oh, interesting. Roast. Uh, we can talk about that in regards to baptism because I love that verse. Okay. Um, we'll get there too. Basically, what Adam's saying is he's gonna become Presbyterian, and our name is gonna change from Joe Schmo Theology to Presbroterians. I actually don't hate that. I, I mean, you have to become Presbyterian now for that name. Just, Trade, trademark. Just hey, for that reason. trademark. You people listening, you do not steal that name. <laughs> I will find you. I will. I will Liam Neeson you. So unlike Aaron, I I would say that my mind is open, and I will I will consider. Well, things. my mind was open, and then I found the truth. Okay. Um, anyway, I love Aaron's church, and I love everyone that I've met there. His pastor is great. His elders that I've met are great. There's a lot of friends that I have there as well, and, and he is being fed. Um, I don't agree with him on necessarily everything, but we're going to study some of this stuff together and talk about it. And there's a chance that we're not going to agree on everything, but there may, <laughs> some, there may be some other things that we do come to, to oh, agreement and now on. Now I have to talk about so, College Park and how it's a great church. You don't have to. It's fine. I used to go to College Park. It's a fine church. It's anyway, a fine church. so um, well, let's. I'm gonna. I want to give you guys kind of a snapshot of what we're gonna be looking at. This this podcast will be bi-weekly, so it's gonna come out every Tuesday, ish, ish. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, every other Tuesday. Every other Tuesday. Thank you. The next one. The next cast we'll be talking about covenant theology and the gospel. Um, the cast after that we're going to talk about calvinism we're going to give you more scriptural proofs for it we're going to go more into depth about tulip we're going to give some um, answers to I'm objections that people fully have. prepared to play devil's advocate here um, <laughs> so, so we're going to we're going to talk about the confessions the history of them uh we're going to probably debate the regulative principle which i i'm really looking forward to i think that's going to be very beneficial for both of us um, the sacraments and the ordinances. We'll talk about church government. We'll talk about um, stewardship, what it means to be a steward um, and giving, things like that. So that's that's a snapshot of what we're looking at for the rest of the summer. So I'm excited because there's a lot here that's going to challenge my study and learning, and um, hopefully that will um, will leak into my doxology and and and. Um, guide the way that I worship as well and I hope this is edifying for you all as well I hope you can do some study along with us Um, we will have a way for you to contact us we already do oh we do okay we have an email it is joeschmotheology at gmail.com and we have a Facebook page at joeschmotheology I think it's theology maybe it's theologians I haven't even liked it yet. Well, I haven't even really made it public (laughs) yet. I'm still still putting it together. It'll be out by the time this podcast drops. It will be there. Yes, it will be. Lord willing, because that's what we have to say. So anyway, so look us up. We're excited about this. Um, If you have questions or comments, feel free to uh, reach out to us on our Facebook page or any of those other means, and uh, we will be back in... Well, I want to do I want to do this. You want to? I want to do, I wanna do some, some crazy town church history. Crazy town. Crazy town. Let me take you Stop to... it. That's inappropriate. Crazy town. <laughs> <laughs> it's funky town. Um, so what I want to do is kind of signing off of the podcast, just to give a funny, funky um, story from church history, whether that's yesterday or you know 
beginning of time. <laughs> so, that being said, Athanasius. There, there mm. are there are multiple stories about about this. This is my favorite version of the story. So Athanasius, he was constantly banned from um, the city that he was in. So he'd always have to run because he was persecuted over. So these soldiers are, are trying to track him down. They're looking for him. They want to kill him or they want to arrest him or, or, or something. <clears throat> and they, they come up to him and Athanasius is sitting down. He's, he's, with a, he's in a crowd and the soldiers come up to him and they say, hey, to Athanasius, is Athanasius sitting with you? He stands up and he says, Athanasius is not sitting among us. But if you keep looking, he's not far off. And so the soldiers run away and, and Athanasius gets away free. So that's that's my favorite version of the story. Whether that's the true version or not, I'm, I'm not sure, but, but I like it. At least his conscience was clear. At least his conscience was clear. <laughs> Sounds like a good episode of uh, Dan Carlin Hardcore History. Um Anyway, so thank you guys for listening. Uh, we will be back in, in two weeks with our ne- next episode talking about Calvinism. I'm sorry, talking about uh, covenant theology and the gospel. Same thing. <laughs> anyway. Uh, remember, every Joe Schmo can Hey, I will ride this way. Watch the tide come.